Well, hello, and welcome to part two of our worship. It's all one part, but a little bit of a break, a breather there to catch catch a breath, really, literally. Imagine, imagine it's six thirty in the morning, or for some of you, maybe earlier. But you awake to that usual sound, but that is so unfriendly sometimes. It's the alarm clock, or however how you use to wake you up. And you lay there for a minute, and you think about, is this reality, or am I just dreaming here? Oh, and then you realize, oh, I've got to get up here. You sit up, and you turn your body, you have your feet on the floor, and then you're thinking, oh, just like one more minute, you know? And you want to turn and, and get under the covers again just for a little bit, just a little bit. And you have an intense debate. Do I really want to go to work today? <laughs> or do I want to stay here in bed? Well, I can tell you what you usually feel like. If it's like me, I'd rather stay there. But then I realize that that is probably not going to... Um, work for any length of time if I continue that. So after an intense debate, uh, we realize there are deadlines, there are things we have to do and get done. Boy, that bed sure is comfortable, though. On a nice, cool morning, it's nice to have those sheets and blankets on you and crawl up like that. It's so comfortable. But anyway, you're out of bed now, and you go into the bathroom. What's the first thing you do? Usually, you probably will look into the mirror, right? And you look at that mirror, and you go, Oh, boy, I need help. I need help today. And there's a lot of work to be done. If I'm going to enter into civilization today, (laughs) I've got to do something about this. But you, instead, you walk over to your desk, you grab your keys and your uh, billfold, your purse, whatever, all the stuff you need, and you go right on out the door. Uh, and then you drive off to work. Is there something wrong with that picture? Yeah. <laughs> what is wrong? You were supposed to look at the mirror, which you did, but after you look at the mirror, you don't leave. What do you have to do? You have to do something about it. <laughs> because otherwise, you're going to go to work with your hair all mussed up and your face could be smudged and dirty and uh, who knows all the different things that, that happens. I don't know how it does it at night, you know, but man, <laughs> it's not like when you went to bed. And uh, at least take a shower and comb your hair or do something, right? Well, that's the kind of response that James is after in our text today. Um, as he talks about a man who looks at himself in the mirror, and uh, one of them, uh, one way is to just walk away. But uh, our understanding of God's word, it has to go into application, uh, where we take the word and we be ye doers of the word, right? And we're all familiar with that one, boy. If that is one that we're familiar with, it certainly is. As we move along through the first chapter of James. We have been dealing with the Word of God, and I can't think of a better topic than the Word of God, and specifically where it talks about the Word of God, but everyone must be quick to hear the Word of God, right? We, we got into that. Uh, we know, even backing up before that, in the exercise of His will, He brought us forth by the Word of truth, right? So, there's salvation, and then we talked about last week, uh, hearing the word and uh, being slow to speak and realizing it's the word implanted so that uh, God works in us. So salvation and dealing with sanctification, receiving the word. So now we see that the word, which is in the believers and has been implanted in, it means we are now to put it into action. And it's dealing with, there's a command of obedience that James gives us here. Uh, you guys are familiar with the parable of the four soils. And there was really only one good soil, that soil that was prepared. He's the one, and it's an individual really, he has this heart that has been prepared. He hears the word and he understands it, or he obeys it. He just doesn't hear it, but then he obeys it. Uh, the test, one of the tests for a believer is obedience. People can say they're believers, but if their life never changes and they don't do the things of God... We'd say, ah, that guy made a profession, but I'm not so sure if he's really a Christian. There's nothing about him that changes, and he doesn't have any obedience. What did Jesus say? A good tree will produce good fruit. A 
bad tree will produce bad fruit. So the acid test for our genuine faith is really obedience. Uh, Jesus said in John fifteen fourteen, You are my friends if you do what I command you. Right? In John fourteen twenty three, He that loves me keeps my commandments. And uh, we know in First John two three, um, we get uh, another one there. Hereby do we know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. So the acid test is always conduct. You know, we can believe this. Uh, actually, say we believe this word and read it, but uh, the conduct out of it—that's the most basic spiritual requirement uh, that all believers have. Uh, that's a common denominator that there be obedience. Those who obey obey the Word of God give evidence by responding, uh, having a proper response to the the Word of God. I think it's the very heart and soul of the particular passage that we're in today in in James. Uh, Be ye doers of the Word. We've seen different kinds of tests in James, and we're still in chapter 1, getting near the end. First one was dealing with tests. See, the test of tests or trials... And then there was another T word, and that's temptation. The test of temptations. So we dealt with that. And probably one of the most uh, important of all here is this doer of this. Having the right response then to this word. If you come and hear and hear and hear and never put it into practice, you're one that is called a hearer only. And if you come and hear and the deepest desire of your heart is to do what is put forth, that definitely indicates the very pulse of the life of God in your soul. Let's uh, pick up our Bibles. Doesn't that make you excited? Pick up the Bible. I love to think of that. In James chapter 1 at verse 22 and through 25 is our text. Uh, Let's stand, stretch, read our Bibles. But prove yourselves doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the fact that there is a blessing for those who hear your word and obey it. At the same time, there is a solemn warning that you give us too. For if we hear it and we do not obey, it can certainly not be a blessing and... uh, we know that uh, a desire for a Christian is that they, they desire they want to they want to follow you in your truth. So give us even more of a desire as we see the word is to be practiced in our message today. In Jesus' name, Amen. We get right there in verse twenty two the command. A command right off the bat after he's talked about the Word implanted and then the Word that is able to save your souls uh, all right up to eternity. And there's a word there that but, B-U-T, but prove yourselves. But it's really important. I mean, it's very important. It's wonderful to hear, as it says in verse 19, be quick to hear. But he wasn't done yet because he's going to the part that we're at now. And uh, also it's, Good that you have humility as you receive the Word of God. That's important. But it's still not enough. And that's why we're at where we're at. It's not enough to hear. You have to go one step further, and that's to do. To hear, to do. It's to be obeyed in life. Be ye continually doers. That's the uh, idea in the Greek as it uh, fills out that, that tense of the Word. It's important that you listen... But it's even more important that you just don't merely listen or merely hear. So, that's um, 
definitely the, the thought. It's, it's uh, keep on doing it. Be continually. Keep on striving it. Uh, prove. Be doers of the word. Prove yourselves to be doers of the word. Doers. Um, the Jewish people that James is writing to, they uh, had heard the expounding of the law all their lives. That was a chief thing to them. It was very important. They, they attended the reading, the exposition of the word in synagogue or at the temple. And the only problem is they did absolutely nothing about it. They heard it. They would even believe it, but there was never any kind of thing happening in their lives. And I think at the time of Jesus, he demonstrated that as he went right to the throat of um, the heart of the matter, really, is uh, the Pharisees. And, of course, they uh, studied the Word. You have the, the lawyers, and they knew the Word. But he says that's not enough. And uh, so Jesus attacked this whole thing. Uh, this doers of the word, poete, uh, poete. It's the very whole being of a person. It's the inner being. It's, it's the inward uh, mind, the soul, the spirit. That's the idea. That's, that's the uh, thought of the doer of the word. It's what we are rather than what we do, even though the Word says do this, be doers of the Word, it's, it's more than doing it, it's what we are. Uh, it's, it's the whole life. It's not hit and miss just every once in a while, but it's the whole life. It's every aspect of our lives. And so that's the thought there. Prove yourselves doers of the Word constantly. It's a whole life kind of thing. It, it, your whole life should be characterized by that. In, in every... Aspect. So, one may be moved by a sermon, you hear a message, but if a person is not changed, then the listening, the hearing of it, is absolutely what? Useless. And so I think we could say you could be taught, but not ever changed. That's sad, but uh, that's so often what can happen. So there's number one. That was the command. Let's get to uh, one kind of hearer. Uh, It says, number two, hearing without doing leads to self-deception. If we hear it, but we don't do it, we are deceiving ourselves. And so 22 through 24 is that, and then he gives that great illustration of it. So he says, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers. Not merely hearers. Hearers only. Just hearing only. Uh, Acroates. And it really uh, gives, a real, I think, an illustration here. Uh, here. This is a great word picture. It's called auditing. Auditing a class. How, how many have ever uh, either audited a class or at least heard of that? Sometimes people audit a class. They go in, and, and what's great about it, you can hear it, but you don't have to hand any homework. You don't have to do the test. You get no credit. <laughs> but at least you're there, you get to hear it. Yeah? <laughs> no cost to it, right. Um, and you relay that over to the specific uh, thought that we're into, and it's called sermon tasters who never taste the grace of God. Um, Greek word there, it's, it's dealing with this, this auditor. Uh, you don't do any of the work. I'm afraid in the body of Christ today all over, there are people who come in to audit the worship. You know, that's all they do. And, and I certainly hope that that's not any of your attitude. Just to come in and, and listen, but then it doesn't make any effect, right? Um, it, the thing is, it can make people even interested they can even like it, and they can even feel religious for that day. But there's no change in life, right? They're, they're auditing there. Um, they audit the sermon. They audit everything that's going on. They sit, they listen, nothing ever changes. They have the privilege to hear, but there's no commitment. They don't have to do any homework. So there are people, we know, that, that uh, can come, hear the Word of God, Hear the exposition of the Word of God, even like it, and nothing changes. I can think of John the Baptist, and uh, there was a guy by the name of Herod, and John the Baptist was preaching the gospel, 
of the kingdom. And Herod found John the Baptist very interesting. And that's a dangerous word sometimes. To find something interesting, but it never really sinks in. He listened to John the Baptist. Matter of fact, sometimes he even got disturbed by what John the Baptist would be saying. I would think so. (laughs) John the Baptist was preaching something very powerful. A powerful voice in the wilderness. And uh, so Herod found that interesting, but... We know as a result later on, and of course you look at uh, Jesus, uh, you know, he called him that fox, you know, that Herod, you know. But at the same time, he never never did change. So we get into the uh, deception here that we can do. We can delude ourselves. People, people can delude themselves. The word there for deceit, kind of interesting word, it's paralizomai. Um, para is like parallel, which means alongside. And logizomai is dealing with reason. You've heard of the logos. You know, in the beginning was the logos, the word, reason, divine faculties. That, you know, that's, that was referring to Christ. So we're talking about almost seems like the opposite thing here. It means to reason beside. To reason beside. It sounds good. And and it can be, uh, it can be 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 I can't say this beside yourself <laughs> to be beside yourself. But there's a mathematical use of the word, and that's what is used here in mathematical terminology. By the way, logarithms. You ever heard of that? Log. And we're dealing still with reasoning. But if we take this outside Scripture and go to mathematics, we see that it means to miscalculate. It's kind of going along with what is really real, but it's just alongside it. It's not in the track. (laughs) And so therefore, it is miscalculated. It means to reckon. That's another idea of logizomai, to reckon. Reckon yourselves to what? Dead to the things of the world. Reckon yourselves alive to Christ. You know, count that. Um, I remember, uh, was it the Hillbillies and Jethro Bodine? And uh, I reckon so, you know. I reckon, you might even use that word sometimes. It's still used, but, you know. So it kind of goes along with that. But the problem here, it means to reckon wrongly. To be deceived. That's the idea of, uh, of the thought that uh, James has. So, it's uh, dealing with deceptions. One can be mentally stimulated by hearing the Word and, and uh, coming to worship, good feelings about it, having nice, um, really good emotions, and then discover the truths are merely deceptions if nothing happens in the life. Now, I I think Satan would love to do that. He doesn't mind people going to church if he can delude them to make them content with where they are and not ever change. He can go right along with that just fine, even in the best of churches, because that person is deluded. They are deceived. Who's the master of deception? So even in a place that is the right place to be, we can still deceive ourselves if we don't put it into practice. We can delude ourselves. We are to apply it to the problems of our life. We hear the Word and then apply it to our lives. Or on the other side, if one doesn't apply it, the more we hear and become still unchanged, the more the heart will harden. Now that's something. Uh, let's go to this analogy. It's a great analogy. I mean, he's just setting this up really good here. You know, and it's just like, boom, it jumps off the page here. Um, He says in verse 23, he says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, they hear it, but they're they're not practicing it. Okay, that's that's the first person he's going to look at here. And here's the illustration. He's, He's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. Just like that. He hears this and and then he just walks away. 
um, goes out the door. Um, that's that's why we were saying you take uh, when you get up of a morning and, and you go to the mirror and you realize there's something that has to be done here. I have to at least comb my hair, to wash wash my face a little bit. Uh, guys have to to shave and and who knows what all else we all have to do because we see that in the mirror and it makes us respond to it, doesn't it? And then if we don't, we just come in here all misshoveled. You can imagine people walking in and, and it's not that we'd want to run them out, you know, because, hey, they, they've got uh, their hair all mussed up and, you know, that's not the point. But the idea, we wouldn't want to do that. We, we would want to say, okay, the mirror has just shown me something if we don't have the mirror, we don't necessarily know how how it looks. Somebody might tell you about it. There have been times whenever I definitely had shaving cream on my ears. I didn't necessarily see it in the mirror. I missed it. I should have looked harder in the mirror. Uh, but hopefully my wife, uh, who's in the kitchen, will see that. And uh, I cringe if she misses it and then I go on to work and then somebody else sees it and they don't tell me and then they're uh, whispering it. Look at him. <laughs> uh, see how good that mirror is. It tells us that we we need to act upon uh, you know a little problem here. So you know, uh, no matter uh, you know, the hair could be all stuck up in a really unruly matter. It does that. You know those bad hair days, and we still kind of work at it. Uh, we try to smooth it out. But if you know we look in the mirror, we can try to smooth it out. But still, yet. If we don't have the mirror and we're trying to do that anyway, who knows what it's going to look like. We just rush out the door. Um, the mirror shows the problems. The Word of God shows the, the problems. And um, this person right here in, in this example didn't do anything to fix the problem. And that's that's a danger. Now, it's interesting. It, it says here, for if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face. He looks. He sees that. And by the way, this is interesting. It means to carefully perceive. It means to observe. To really, you know, to, to look at it. The man looks very carefully and he sees the problem. Uh, now the problem is, is he going to do anything with it or not? Uh, it's his natural face. That's the face of, of his birth. The face he is born with. <laughs> you know. And um, because of uh, the sin of mankind, uh, all sorts of different things happen to us and we always have to keep uh, livening things up, right? And the older that you get, the more you have to work at it. Uh, He looks in a mirror, he sees his face, he looks at it, and he now uses this illustration of the mirror. And uh, the mirror was used back at that time, pretty primitive compared to our mirrors. Our mirrors are very accurate, you know, in the glass that we have. Matter of fact, it's like 3D. You know, I mean, it's really accurate. And so, uh, they didn't have quite the accurate mirrors. They had uh, like something made of uh, bronze, and it was beaten flat and then polished. And you know, there would kind of like be bubbles. It kind of, you'd really work at it to try to see yourself. You, you've seen your reflections off certain things. If you didn't have a mirror around, you'd try to see what's there. It wasn't quite quite as good as what it could be, but. It, it gave them a pretty good image of themselves. It was a kind of a copper tin mixture that they uh, used to make that polished bronze. Uh, some mirrors, if you had uh, some pretty good money, um, you would have a mirror that was made of silver, and that can be pretty good, uh, you know, pretty pretty accurate. And for the wealthy folks, they would have gold mirrors. Yeah, now now you're talking. I mean, this was even more accurate. Uh, but it's still an imperfect reflection. We have some pretty good ones in our day, but look in 1 Corinthians 13.12. There we see an example of a mirror. And um, it's a good illustration of what we're talking about in a way. 1 Corinthians chapter 13.12. For now we see in a mirror dimly. You know, and that's what they did. They had the mirrors, and it was it was dim. You, you couldn't see it very good. We in our lives, we don't see everything clearly, do we? We don't know all the things that's going to happen. We have an idea, and of course, we have the Word of God. Uh, but then we will see Christ face to face, right? We will see Him as He is. 
and we will be like him. We're not going to look like him, but we will be like him. But um, so he's saying, you know, and and for now, right now, we just know in part. We have some knowledge, but it's in part. But then I will know fully. Isn't that a great guarantee that we have? Just as I also have been fully known. God fully knows me. One day I will know Him in a more full way than what I have now. So that was the mirror that he talked about. You know, we can just we can get a kind of a dim image of it. Um, quite a picture there that James is using. Um, but if they would look long enough and really cautiously, they could get a pretty good idea what they saw. And that's what we can do when we look at the Word. We can get a pretty good idea of where we're at in our, our own lives. I think another good thought of this, and kind of goes along with this, in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. And speaking of the Word of God there, the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Those were like razor blades. And piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from His sight. All things are open and laid bare to the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. So if that be the case, as we hold the Word up and we read it, we see that it can cut us and that's a good thing because it's going to take out the stuff that is junk and get it out of there. Or it's the mirror. It's a sword. It's a mirror. When we look honestly at it and really look at it, then it begs us to obedience. So, Word of God, quite illustrations that are brought down to baby talk so that we can understand. Isn't God great that He would put it in a language that we can understand? Amen. And of course, when Jesus came, He got on the level with the, the Hebrew people. Uh, many of them were farmers. It was an agriculture society. And so what would He use? He'd use things like seeds and trees. Things that they were familiar with. The soil. Just on and on and on. He got right down on their level. This is the God of the universe who gets down on our level and speaks to us. And He's speaking to us today, not only through the Word of God, but as you hear this, you realize He's speaking to you. And if you're understanding this, guess what? It's because you're wanting to understand and you realize God's telling me something here. Being very attentive, I think that's amazing. Now what, uh, what this can do, what this Word can do, what this mirror can do, is uh, some things that we don't rather like. Because... Sometimes it shows how ugly we really are. It shows how self-centered our attitudes can be. It exposes our dark pride that we have. Of course, I think all sin starts with that, doesn't it? It confronts us in our contempt for others and our lack of compassion for others. It's our sinful anger that we have. Has the Word ever done that to you? Has it ever shown you your anger or some of those other things that we talked about? How about our rotten speech that we have or our attitude? It uncovers that. It uncovers the deception that we have. Our lust. Our greed. And on and on and on. That's what the Word of God does. But if you're not in the Word, guess what? If you're not looking at the mirror, you're not going to see it. Matter of fact, the further you get away from it, the more that uh, things cover it up so much that you don't even think about it at all. It doesn't even bother you. So um, if we just take a quick glance at the mirror, at the Word, and then rush out the door, we're going to forget if we haven't done something about it at at that time. Uh, Adam and Eve, when they were confronted with sin by uh, God Himself, they were very quick to blame others, right? And um, they dodged their own responsibility. Um, it, you know, we have to give it more than some kind of a passing attention. It uh, requires deliberate focus on the word there and then applying it personally. So, these little illustrations that um, 
God gives us in James here and, and in Hebrews and other places. says, this is what I'm talking about. He says, for once he's looked at himself and gone away. Once he's looked, at, that's the glancing of it. He saw enough of it there but didn't do anything and then he, he goes away. Some the quick glance. He goes away literally in the Greek text. It's a perfect tense. And uh, it means that he has gone away. Okay, he was here in front of the mirror. He's gone away. Here in, in the Word of God and, and he's gone away. He looks and he leaves. That's pretty interesting there. Right? He looks and he leaves. No longer is the mirror in front of him. Immediately what happens? He forgets. He forgets what kind of man he was, it says here. But he looked like, what he saw. And can we blame it on the mirror? Well, it's not the mirror. If all, he'd say, oh, there's some blemishes there. That's got to be the mirror. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's the mirror. There's steam in here. Looks pretty good to me. <laughs> Other people go, boy, he needs help. <laughs> he leaves. He forgets. Mirror's not at fault. Shows us what we look like. Um, quickly forgets in verse 24, verse 25. He's a forgetful hearer. So he does nothing about the problems. And James is really not describing a person that happens to have poor memory. Now that's what I'd like to think. Ah, oh, forgot again. Ah, oh. you know, we could he could say, well, that guy doesn't have a good memory though. Well, that's not what James is talking about here. It's not the poor memory. It's the poor priorities that he has. His priorities. He doesn't remember what he saw in the mirror uh, because he doesn't regard it as really that important. Ah, it's not that important. All these doctrines about you know about God and eternal life and all those things, they're interesting. They're nice. They're good. But you know, I got things to do. I got places to go. I got people to see. You know, I got money to make. I got things to buy. I've got to do that. I got to do my hobbies. Oh yeah, my toys. Right. That's the passion that I really have. That's more important. And he forgets what God's word says. Forgets what God says about his sin because it really isn't that important. Oh yes, it is important, but yeah, but yeah, but 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 all of these other things. Guess what? It's way down the line where it really has to be up at the top. Uh, look in the Old Testament. The problem of forgetting God is always our problem. You can say, "Hey, what are you picking on me today?" Uh, I'm picking on me. And if it's picking on you, that's because God's doing it. I'm not. And i got a feeling you're not alone because everybody in here is saying He's picking on me. You're not saying that, are you? Okay, good. What? Nobody answered. <laughs> Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 12. You know what a natural thing for mankind to do is forget. And you can say, well, boy, you're really hitting the nail on the head today, aren't you, Dennis? Oh, you're you're starting to uh what is it? Read my mail. <laughs> Read my mail. <laughs> You're going from preaching to meddling. Preaching to meddling, yeah. <laughs> Seven on Well, you know what? Everybody here forgets. We've been guilty more than one time in our lives about forgetting. Forgetting, forgetting. Forgetting. It's a natural thing to do. Because our minds are not, and thank the Lord that it does. Our minds do not remember everything that we've ever said or done. Uh, matter of fact, your computer would be so stored up that it'd be nothing but a jumble. And so, you know, there's, you know, God has made this mind incredible, and I'm just glad we don't. Sometimes I like to have some a memory, though, to recall things that I just heard five minutes ago. <laughs> you know? Deuteronomy 6, verse 12 says this, Then watch yourself that you do not forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. Don't forget that. You know what? I'll never forget that. He brought our people out of Egypt. 
in bondage. I'll never forget that. You know what they did? They forgot. How basic of, of, of a thing can you get, you know, about what God did in bringing them out of the desert and the bondage? Deuteronomy 8, verse 2. You shall remember, ah, oh, there we go, all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years that He might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep His commandments or not. Now that was Israel <clears throat> dealing with deliverance from Egypt, but you know what? You could put your name in there. You know what? Uh, Lord has led me in the wilderness all this time. And He's humbling me. And He's testing me. So, to know what was in my heart. He doesn't need to know. He already knows. But we need to see what's in our heart. That's why the mirror's there. Uh, But whether you would keep His commandments or not, it shows that you know so we are to remember we're, we're not to forget but that's what we do in a lot of things right that's why we just have to keep going to the word and say well I've already read through the Bible five or six times and I don't really need to pick it up anymore because I know where I know those Bible stories Nando's out there shaking his head <laughs> no that doesn't work does it why we forget and you might have the book of John down I mean Nailed. And I will tell you, if you don't keep staying with it, you're going to forget things in the book of John. That's just the way that your mind has to be so fine-tuned. There are some people that had a photographic memory. Wow. I I don't understand that at all. So I don't even make a comment on it. I'm, I'm amazed. What a gift. But in some ways, it probably would be the opposite of a gift. But Psalm 103, verse 2. Again, same thing. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Everybody knows right. And what's the next line? And forget none of His benefits. Don't forget His benefits. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And forget none of His benefits. Don't forget what He's doing for you. Bless Him and don't forget. Verse 18, same psalm. To those who keep His covenant and remember His precepts to do them. Remembering them. Oh, while we look at the Word, then we get away from it. We need to do what? We need to go right back to the Word. Do you see how important it is to be in the Word of God every day? Otherwise, you're going to forget. And He says, remember, remember. And this is how you remember. You keep going back to the well. Look in Psalm 106, verse 7. You can say, well, I thought I was the only one forgetting everything. I don't know what the matter is with me. Our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. They did not remember your abundant kindnesses. There you go. The children of Israel that saw the the ten plagues in Egypt, and they even participated in the last one, they saw all of that and how He delivered them out, and He says they didn't remember His abundant kindnesses. How much is abundant? I would say it's probably more than two million. <laughs> what did they do? They rebelled by the sea, at the Red Sea. They rebelled right there. Man, they forgot really quick, didn't they? Malachi. Oh, I'm not calling for Malachi back there. Malachi. Malachi, the very last book in the Old Testament. And chapter 4, very last chapter of the very last book in the Old Testament, just before the intertestamental times. Well, I have a big section in there called the intertestamental period. But Malachi runs right into Matthew, really, back in the New Testament. Uh, Verse 4, Remember the law of Moses, my servant, even the statutes and ordinances, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel. That's right near the end of the last book of the Old Testament. God says, remember the law of Moses.
statutes, the ordinances. I commanded those. Don't forget them. Remember them. Well, on paper they had it. Or on scrolls. But in their hearts, Israel really didn't have a memory problem, did they? They had a priority problem. It wasn't their memory. It's just that they had other things to do. God's commandments were just not that important to them. Even though they would recite them every day, right? Uh, Parents. Many of you have been parents, right? And you're always having to tell your kid to clean the room. Remember that? How about you? When you were a kid, you you remember, clean your room. And, you know, you'd go ahead and keep doing whatever you're doing, playing a game or something, or get the main thing that's out of the middle of the room, obviously, and just stash it in the closet, (laughs) under the bed, whatever. And, of course, Mom comes in and says, I told you to clean the room. He said, well, I did. I cleaned the room. And it took, what, five seconds to stash that under, underneath the bed? And um, Or, how about this one? Keeping it in context what we're talking about. Oh, I forgot. Did you ever hear that one? Did you ever use that one? I forgot. Uh-oh. I better not stay on this one very long. This can... <laughs> My whatever I had out there, a bunch of stuff is still there. Aren't you going to get that out of here? <laughs> You're not smiling. <laughs> we'll talk about that one later, won't we? <laughs> is that the reason why God had him right on the doorpost? <laughs> <laughs> Very good. That's right. That's right. That's right. And he gave him stones to remember. Hope, hope remember. So hearers only, they take a quick glance, but they don't do anything to fix it. If you don't fix it while you see it, you may never fix it. Right? The point is, if you don't do something on the spot, you'll probably forget about it. We get busy in life, and we forget things that need to be done. And so you can see how this definitely can apply spiritually. If we don't take care of it, at the moment that you read it, at the moment you hear it, even like here today, you can see where this analogy is going, can't you? I'm telling you something every preacher in the world knows about. Sunday's sermon is about done now, and then church will, will be over. And we go through the rest of the day, and we might even think about what we did during the day, and then Monday comes. <coughs> And we probably already forgot what we heard, read, what we did. Uh, maybe we're doing pretty good and it goes on into the week a little bit. But yet, we tend to forget. We've gotten away from the mirror. If we haven't stayed in this and we see that God is speaking and haven't taken care of it, we forget. And um, we forget very easily. Uh, our minds are uh, not necessarily steel traps. I don't even know what that means. To be honest with you, the saying. I'm I'm afraid that a lot of times my hair is still uncombed spiritually, and there's shaving cream on my ears. And I didn't take care of it. Um, I needed to stay around the mirror a little longer, long enough, and and uh, I didn't adjust to it when I was looking at it. So there is the illustration that James is using. Now we we go back to James in verse 25, and this is part 3. James is practical, isn't he? He speaks. And we go, this is real, real stuff here. Rubber meets the road. And he says in verse 25, but one who looks intently, here's the other guy, He looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty. He abides by it. Not having become a forgetful hearer like the other guy, but an effectual doer. This man will be blessed what he does. Now this is hearing the word and then we realize that it leads to blessing. The doer 
looks intently at the Word. But one who looks. He's not the one who just looks, but he looks how? Intently. Rather than a quick glance, he looks intently. I like this word. This is really graphic. And it means to stoop over and really look. Wow. You know who did that? In the Gospels. Do you remember uh, there was Peter and John they were running? And get in there and look in the tomb. I think Mary had done that too. Uh, let's, let's go in there and let's look at that, that Greek word. Look in John 20, verse 5. I mean, this is really checking it out. If you knew Jesus had been crucified and He died, and then you look into this tomb and He is not there, He has risen, would you look at this uh, very hard? (laughs) You would be really checking it out, wouldn't you? And that's what's happening in in, uh, John 20, verse 5. Peter came to the tomb first, it says in verse 4, and stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Oh, this is it. This is the resurrection of Christ. He's looking, and I I mean he is stooping. He is checking this out. Are you kidding me? Verse 11 But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping, and so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. Really checked it out. Then the two angels come along. Um, There's another one found in 1 Peter, the book right after James. And in chapter 1, verse 12, he's talking about... um, the prophets, how God had given them the Scripture. They wrote it, but they didn't really understand it all, even though they wrote it. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. And these things which now have been announced to you through those who preached the Gospel, the good news, to you by the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look, to stoop over, to really examine, to check it out. They're going from one passage to another. They were really... Angels long to look into this. The prophets were examined. The angels, they didn't get it. I mean, this was heavy stuff that God gave them long before. And, of course, then it came true. This sure isn't a quick glance, this stooping over thing, is it? This paracupto is the idea here of intently looking. It's not casually examining it. Really looking at care and precision. It's discerning what is really revealed here. Um, not taking a quick glance. The guy who then takes a quick glance, doesn't do anything, goes out the door, he leaves. But it's the one who sees a blemish, sees a spot. There's dirt on the face. And he takes the time to correct the problem as he really looks at that intently. Um, Yogi Berra, who just died pretty recently, always had those famous quotes. We get to do a Yogi Berra-ism here now. You know, he's pretty quirky sometimes. But he said this, you can see a lot just by looking. (laughs) Now do you understand what he's talking about? (laughs) You can see a lot just by really examining it carefully, searching it out, right? That's true of Bible study. And sometimes we can read it and you go, I don't don't know what this means here. Yeah, I get the generality. I've gotten that. But there's something more here. 
So you, you read over it again, and then you start looking at other passages that deal with it. And, you know, sometimes I, I like to dig out the commentaries, and that's where a lot of my information comes through as, as I share with you guys. Because just coming from my own thought, I'm going to miss a lot of things. You know, I try to get the basic generalities, but uh, some people have some ways to word it, or they thought of a way that I haven't. And the more that you see, they have more depth than the other guy, and the other guy, then everybody has different ways of looking at it, and you put it all together, and wow, you go, hey, this is like a, a an all-star game here. You know, getting the best, putting together, and now you got some thoughts here that really start coming true. You know, you can think of, uh, of course, the, uh, the Martin Lloyd-Jones, and and uh, John MacArthur's and the R.C. Sproul's and uh, James Montgomery Boyce, um, my uh, Erwin Lutzer, all those guys that are committed to uh, expository, explaining the passage, really going into it, you can see a lot just by looking. And all of a sudden it starts jumping out at you. Um, Waiting on the Lord. Sometimes I don't wait on the Lord enough and meditate on the text. You know, I start relying on others. But sometimes it's good just to look intently at that word and being quite quiet, and then getting a, that proper understanding. And and then this is how it applies to life. That word is is trying to get more out of it than just what you just read there. And uh, as you go through the rest of life, as you have that, you have line upon line, precept upon precept. You may not understand understand everything you have heard all your life. You've heard thousands of messages probably through many different people. And if, if those were accurately preached, even though you you probably can't... You, you don't have one sermon memorized. Matter of fact, if, if I ask you, hey, uh, back uh, three years ago, you remember when we were in the book of... You know, can you tell me uh, the three major points of that? <laughs> yeah. Um, honestly, I couldn't either. <laughs> but the thing is, line upon line, you just keep building. And all of a sudden, you not all of a sudden, over a period of time, you have an understanding. And you build a little bit more. You can't. You don't even know where that came from, who you got that from. But it's definitely the Word of God, and ultimately, you really are getting it from God. And you have that all stacked there, and you put something more on it. Now you have a lot of depth to draw from, right? And that's with careful precision, and putting it into application is so key. And then here in back to James just before the book of Peter, which we were just last at, he says, but one who looks intently at the perfect law, and he explains it, the law of liberty, the perfect law, and I think, well, he's already mentioned the word back in verse 18. He brought us forth by the word of truth. In verse 21, um, he says, um, receive the word implanted. In verse 22, prove yourselves doers of the word, verse 23, but if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, you see the word has really been the key feature here, hasn't it? But now he calls it the perfect law, perfect law of liberty. Why does he do this? Well, James is writing to these Jewish Christians, these Jewish readers, and they'd be thinking, you know, James, keep mentioning the word are you forgetting that you're writing to to Jews and uh you know you know these guys were steeped in the torah the law they were steeped in that you know we've studied the law of god we we know about that all the way from our youth up and we take great pride in that and we obey the law right and um, they were prone to keep the law outwardly but inwardly, it really wasn't there. And of course, we know that Jesus rebuked the Jews. Uh, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. It's a perfect law. And it's complete. It is sufficient. It's very effective. It's comprehensive. It's the very mind of God. 
this perfect law. It reveals His will for us. Right here. His very will for mankind. And everything we need. I mean, it's consummate. It's flawless. There are no errors in it. It's the perfect law, right? And, by the way, it will meet every need. And it will touch every part of your life that needs it. You have this. Everyone here has this. You even have it in your hands right now or you're looking at it in your laps or on on a desk or something. But everything there, it can fulfill every desire of your heart. The Word of God can. It's the law of God. And what it does, it's the law of liberty. It liberates us. It frees us. It frees us from that sin that we're battling with. And you say, boy, it sure hurts when I look at that. You know, you look at that truth. And yeah, the the sword just pierced through, right? Uh, Douglas Moo, who wrote um, commentary on James, says that the perfect law is not just referring simply to the law of Moses, but it's the interpretation and fulfillment of that law and the teaching of Jesus. Christ is the one who fulfills that law. And it is in Him and His teaching. He is the new lawgiver, isn't He? Now we can do the things of Christ because we want to do the things of Christ. We enjoy that because the new covenant is written upon our hearts. The law written on the heart. It's the new covenant promise that's written on our heart. The law of liberty. Uh, And the Spirit enables us now to obey this law. Look in John or Matthew five, seventeen through twenty. Matthew five, seventeen through twenty. The perfect law of liberty. Do not think that I came to abolish the law of the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Nobody could fulfill the law. Nobody could follow it. Only Jesus followed it and did it. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. There's a purpose for it, and it is perfect. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. It's the righteousness of Christ that we have. And because of His grace that God sees that. Obedient people are actually free. We no longer have that guilt that is hanging on us. Uh, We now have obedience that's been actually produced and done by Christ. Christ We're freed from bondage to sin. Obedience to Christ. I think of Romans chapter 6, verse 16. Look what He freed us from. We were under a bondage. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience... You are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, resulting in death, or of obedience, resulting in righteousness. One or the other. Everybody's got to serve somebody, as Bob Dylan said. (laughs) But it's really right here in Romans 6, isn't it? But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, that's what you were, you became obedient. You already became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. You were either in bondage to sin or you were a slave of righteousness. How can you go wrong when you're a slave of righteousness? It's the righteousness of Christ. The doer then applies this word to his heart, James says. We're right at the end here of this text. And it's shown two different kinds of of hearers. This hearer has this perfect law of liberty and abides by it to continually 
apply in all of life, in everything. John 8.31 Jesus is speaking in John 8. Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed Him, believed, they saw the things that He did, He says, If you continue in My Word, then you are truly disciples of Mine. And everybody knows this one. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If you're a Christian, you've identified that. By the way, you're a Christian, you're a Christian forever. What's this mean though? He has this if here. Will you show that you're for real? You prove that you're a Christian by what? Abiding in His Word. It is truth. And you abide in it. You live in it. You stick around in it. This man is not coming to the Word for a quick fix and get the immediate problem. The Bible continually applies to this man's heart over an entire lifetime. It's a long-term approach. It's discipline. It's diligence. Reaping the benefits. Do you prepare your heart when you come to the Lord's Word? I think that's a good thing to ask ourselves. God, I want to look in Your mirror and I want to see exactly what so-and-so has behind me. back. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. And we're looking at them and we say, yeah, they need to get this taken care of. No, the mirror is what you look at, right? The mirror is you. Your natural face. I want to see all the blemishes, Lord. I want to see where all the blotches are at. And then I need repair on this, Lord. I come with a heart that says, show me where the problem is, Lord. Please show me so I can see that it's changed. I'll take care of it with Your help. Is that our attitude? That's really what it should be, right? And by the way, there's something good that goes with this. If... Um, if you're abiding in Him and not having become a forgetful here, it goes back to that other guy, right? But an effectual doer, effectual doer, a real doer of the Word. This man, he makes it happen, this man will be blessed in what he does. Hearing and doing brings blessing. What does hearing only do? Forgetful hearer becomes disobedient. Psalm 1. 1 through 3. Psalm 1. Here we go. Don't be blessed. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Look at this. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. James said the perfect law of liberty. And in His law, He meditates day and night. He really looks at the mirror. He meditates. He thinks about it. He chews on it. He'll be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. you seen any withering leaves lately? (laughs) But this does not wither. And in whatever He does, He prospers. Boy, that's blessing. Hearing and doing brings blessing. In Joshua one eight, Joshua, right after the first five books, the Pentateuch, Joshua one eight. Here we go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then, you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. And that may be in a lot of ways. It can mean money, that kind of blessings. I think we're blessed tremendously, but some have even more than ever before. It can mean that. Success means a lot of things, but success here is being a man of God who obeys. And he knows who God is and he wants to do his will. All the other things just fall into place. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. All these things, whatever God has for you. And like I said, he just keeps giving and giving and giving. You know that Timex watch commercial they used to have? He just keeps on 
Not ticking, but giving and giving and giving and giving and giving. And giving. Our problem is that sometimes we forget what He's just given us two seconds ago. <laughs> the blessed hear and doer look intently at the Word. The blessed uh, miss out of that is that, that it's applied uh, not just to outward behavior, but to the heart and continuing to apply it for a lifetime. What's the difference between the two hearers? One word. Obedience. One looks, he bends over, he stoops down, and he sees it as a liberating law. And it's not bondage. And so he continues there. He's not a forgetful hearer. Maybe he goes home and he takes this passage that he's been taught and he goes to sleep by the end of the day reading in that same text. Or every day he goes over and over again over passages and then thinks on it in his mind. And he's saying, God, change my life. I see what that means now. Help me to do what you intended me to do out of this passage. Lord, help me to obey. Help me to do your way. Let's pray. Father, help us to go over and over this Scripture and all other passages, places we've been reading. Help us to remember, God, change my life here. Lord, You showed me in Your mirror where this is at. Can You help me, Lord, for me to realize what Your will is, what You intend for me to do with this? Will You help me to obey, Lord? Help me to bring glory and honor to You in a bigger way than I've been doing because we all need to keep changing. None of us have arrived. Lord, help us to do Your way. In Your Son's name and in His power and the Holy Spirit's power we pray. Amen.